if you don't know why you're fighting, you don't fight very hard. I think that's a piece of this war that, that we have to understand. Uh, the Ukrainians don't have the same uh, weapons. They don't have the same numbers as the Russian army, but they have the will to fight because they're fighting for their homeland. When you listen to these people being drafted, mo many say, I'm not going to go fight. But those that do say they're going to go fight, they don't even they can't even explain why. Mm, so I uh, was wondering about that myself, and I thought we'd ask somebody who knows. Mike Lyons, military analyst we love ha to have on the show with these matters. Went to West Point, has an MBA, um, all kinds of military background stuff that uh, I can tell you about uh, in a little bit. Bronze Star for his actions in combat. Mike Lyons, welcome back to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Hey, good morning, guys. You know, I, I'm surprised at that take by a historian okay. because uh, you cannot dismiss this mobilization of these Russian troops as really inconsequential. You look at every time in history, it does show that the larger industrial complex nation, even as they lose battles along the way, wins these wars of attrition. Russia will figure out a way to get 300,000 men to the front there to, to reinforce, and we'll talk about this in a second, they'll reinforce units that are in real danger of being surrounded and, and almost destroyed that they have there right now. But they'll figure it out, and they'll get them there, and they'll be fodder, and they'll all die. And, but, but that's what they'll, they'll do because that, that's what they've done historically for the past thousand years. So it's not over by any stretch of the imagination. Ukraine is going to have to capitalize on this the kind of lull on the Russian side here in the next few months, hopefully during the wintertime, in order for them to even try to gain some kind of success. But it's going to still remain a stalemate as long as uh, as Russia is going to continue to bring those kind of numbers to the, to the front. Well, that's one of the reasons we like to have you on, because you're certainly not a guy that goes with just whatever the conventional wisdom is on, uh, on cable news at the time. Uh, appreciate you saying that, because that's the opposite of what, I'm hearing mostly, but um, to back up just a second, we, we've been playing this clip from David Petraeus, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, who was on CNN a week or so ago, and he said after, you know, the, 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 the big blitzkrieg from Ukraine driving the Russians out of a bunch of different areas and uh, the success they had over that um, uh, several day period, David Petraeus said the outcome is no longer in doubt. Ukraine will win. It's just a matter of time. Pretty definitive statement. Do you, do you agree with that or not? You know, again, what's happened is this: the the the, the battle has now been 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 formed in the south, and and the, the elite Russian units are there trying to hold off. Uh, what was initially the second offense of, of U the Ukraine army, the not, not the primary objective there, because Ukraine actually used that to the, to the east and to took, take back land that they had lost before. And what they ended up doing was dropping all these bridges along the Dnepro River, trapping those elite Russian units. Now, here's what will allow Ukraine to win or claim more victory, and that is it's one thing to see you know, hundreds of soldiers that have been uh, surrendering or so, but you could see ten or 20,000 surrender in that part of the country. Then I'll change my mind and say, okay, then they have a much better chance of winning. And that's possible because right now we've created kind of a battle of the bulge situation where those troops are surrounded, won't be able to get resupplied very simply. They need the men to try to reassemble bridges and reassemble supply lines that, that have to come. And, and if they don't get that done in the next few months, especially winter comes and they're going to starve and freeze to death, it'll it'll be uh, a tremendous advantage on the side of Ukraine. So, I, I, you know, I, again, I'm just surprised to hear Four Star make that kind of comment, given the fact that Russia has tremendous industrial uh, superiority. As long as the West continues to support Ukraine, then then there is some parity, at least on that side. 
Yeah, you're talking about the history of Russia. I've, I've read enough uh, history of whether they're fighting Napoleon or, or Hitler. Uh, Russia's always been willing to just feed human beings right. into right. battle until they, you know, until they finally get their way. Um, so I've heard, I've heard it said, you've probably seen the videos of the lines at the border of Russia and Georgia. I mean, miles long of, of young men trying to get out of the country and the, you know, the one way flights yeah. all sold out. We've all heard that. And, uh, right. but they're loaded today, right now, they are loading people on buses and heading them, I guess, I don't know where to train sure. them up and put them in a uniform. How long will it take before these guys are actually in the field with a gun? I heard months, but are you thinking it's going to be faster than that? Yeah, probably months. Um, maybe some that are closer a, a little sooner, but, um, and the, and Russia, again, doesn't care that they're having low morale or they don't care that they won't have great weapons. They'll just literally pick weapons off the, off the ground from dead Russian soldiers that they keep, that they leave on the battlefield. Um, they also have 11 time zones to go and get uh, troops from. So, so they have the manpower the the media is showing just these kind of snippets of, of these small protesters. But for every one of those, there's 10,000 that are just lining up and going because they have no choice because they'll get thrown in the gulag if they, if they don't go. So, um, so, you know, th- this is a country that doesn't care about things like emotional intelligence and um, troop morale, all these things that are, that are factors in our military that you, keep, you hear people talk about all the time. They don't care. All, all, all they need is bodies to show up at the front to, to, to stem the tide of a potential Ukrainian offense. Uh, they care about destruction. That's their only way that they project power. Yeah, that's interesting. You've probably been on the field up against people that didn't necessarily have a lot to fight for, but they find a reason to fight. What's what's that all about? At some point, is it just survival, or are you fighting for your friends? Yeah, usually you go to war for the guy to the left and to the right of you. You don't necessarily, it, 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 that's to say you don't fight for your country, so to speak. And I do remember that, um, you know, I think we talked about, we, we saw, we heard stories, for example, of Russians leaving behind food and mermite cans there. Same thing we saw that in Desert Storm. We saw, uh, you know, the, the enemy doesn't want to fight. But this, the difference here is that this is Russia saying that this is Russian land now. Vladimir Putin is telling, you know, they're, they're going to annex these regions here. They think they're fighting for their country. Um, but you flip that on the other side, the, the Ukraine military on the offensive is fighting truly for something. Gaining back land they lost uh, eight years, seven years ago back uh, when Russia took it back in 2014. Um, and, and if they keep going in the, way, in the way they're going, if they can threaten, for example, Crimea, now Russia is really strategically hurt because that's probably their Alamo. They, they can't lose Crimea. They, they have Sebastopol. They have the only warm water port there. They were, they were leasing that land from Russia prior to 2014. Uh, they have to keep that. So I think you'll see the majority of the mobilized troops go to the south, go to Crimea, go to those areas to try to reinforce, to keep mass defections from taking place. So how much do you take the nuclear threat seriously from Putin? I know we've been talking about this for going on seven months now, but is he any more likely than he was before to actually go nuclear? I think that's the last thing he he draws from. It's going to depend how this mobilization goes. I think that it's always on the table. It it won't be as um, devastating if he keeps it within the tactical nuke side as he'll just literally hit infrastructure, go after civilians. It'll, It'll fix the conventional forces on the ground somewhat, but they'll likely stay tucked up close to the Russian troops knowing that uh, you can't fire a tactical nuke on Ukraine forces there because of the of the fallout and the damage could possibly hit Russian troops. But then I might be wrong because he doesn't care about Russian troops anyway. You know, he's, he's eliminated layers within his chain of command. 
And I think that's a lot to do with if he does have to fire a nuclear weapon, he wants to get it down to the execution phase as fast as possible. Because usually there's two-man control with any kind of nuclear weapons. He doesn't want to get anybody in between that order to, to all of a sudden decide, you know what, we're not doing this. It's not the right thing to do. Mm. Uh, that's not Russia's not about. They're not about the right thing. They're they're about doing what you, I tell you to do. And so I think that's why he's eliminated these 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 impediments within the chain of command. Because if he makes that order, he wants to make sure it's carried out. Wow, that is really interesting. I got to ask you because Joe Biden said something on Sunday night that got, certainly got Joe and I's attention when he stated that U.S. lives would be at stake in Taiwan if China decided to invade Taiwan. Uh, how do you feel about that? Yeah, we have to steer clear from Taiwan. I, we, we don't, what's the deterrence right now is the only thing we can do to deter China from doing anything in Taiwan is another kind of alliance that doesn't seem to be being put together right now, which it should be. It should be the G7. You know, China needs imports as much as they export things, right? I mean, obviously, 3,000 Walmarts in America go broke if they're not getting stuff from China. But on the other side, China needs wheat. They need things from the United States. And um, it's going to have to be a non-military deterrent in order for us to, to keep China from doing that. And it's got to be the whole G7 saying we're going to put sanctions, real sanctions on China that will actually be a lot worse than, you know, Donald Trump's uh, trade tariffs that were, that were put on. Because, because if, they, if their people starve, if China has those kinds of internal problems, then they have revolution, and that's what it's going to take there. So I think we've not done a good job. We're talking tough, and it's military about China right now. But if you think about it, our, our diplomats need to be uh, clearing their desks and working on a, a non-military deterrent solution, which I think is the G7. I think it's the major countries of the world saying, you just can't do this. We're going to shut you off in a way that you've never been shut off before. Right. Yeah. So I was listening to uh, um, uh, one of my favorite pundits the other day say we, 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 we should do the same thing that we've done with uh, Russia and Ukraine. We, and, and it's working. Worlds has rallied on our side and not on Russia's side. And over time, you know, it, the right thing will happen, probably do the same thing with China. Do you, how would you feel about U.S. Marines in Taiwan fighting uh, no, the Chinese? Not a good no. It's not a good look. I think that uh, they still outnumber us there, and China will have. I still think China is that declining power, and that's not necessarily their military has not proven itself to actually when it's in the crucible of battle whether they can do something. But we have to get to a season. I go back to Ukraine. Let's get to a season here in Ukraine because if the Germans and the Italians are freezing, they might get weak in the knees and, and decide to back out of that. That, mm. that can't happen. That can't happen in China. Go back to Asia. That we've got to have um, that alliance put together beforehand. Let's let's try to let's try to cut that problem off before before it becomes an issue. The, 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 the Chinese, if they decide to do the Allura battle, if they decide to go after a U.S. carrier, sink a carrier, try to put you know try to get this one battle over very quickly. They'll make a strategic mistake that, um, that that I think will really mean the downfall of China, as well as we're seeing almost the downfall of Russia. Two client states, frankly. They're both working together at this point. Mike Lyons, one of a handful of follows, man. When something breaks military-wise, war-wise, you're one of the Twitter feeds I go to because I always wonder what you think. Appreciate you coming on today. Thanks for having me. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. 
I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 